having someone to talk to that just understands what you've gone through, where you can say the word Lone Pine or Kearsarge Pass or Forester Pass, and they know what that means. You can have kind of like a level three conversation was so therapeutic and so comforting. And having people from the trail or who have hiked the trail before in regular communication, I think is really important because otherwise you come home from this intense thing you experienced with a lot of people that you are no longer seeing every day. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is Larry, known off trail as Lonnie Advocate. She's back for another round, and this time we dive into the post trail places. Post trail depression is a phrase we throw around, but what does it really mean? What does it really look like, feel like? In this episode, she shares her experience coming back from the PCT and some lessons she learned that helped to smooth that transition. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Larry. Hi, Erin. Hey. Wow, we got it on the first try. (laughs) (laughs) If you remember last time. Oh, yeah. We're getting better at this. (laughs) Yeah. Nice to hear your voice again. It's nice to hear you, too. How's it going? It's good. I, it was pretty hysterical, actually. After our conversation, whatever it was, a couple days ago. Today, I was walking, you know, bopping around doing my thing, and I was all of a sudden like, oh shit, this is October. When, when is that <laughs> permit deadline? Oh my God, what, what's going on? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not for a couple weeks though, right? Yeah. But there okay. was that moment, there was the momentary panic of, oh shit, did I miss something? Yeah. Sometimes I know when I put stuff in my calendar so far in advance that I don't trust myself that I actually did it and I forget and I have that. I know exactly the feeling you're talking about. Or or that I forget because when I put the appointments in my calendar, it doesn't necessarily automatically set up to notify. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it can just sit there in your in your calendar and you would never know. Mm-hmm. Did you double check to make sure that you set your alarm to notify you? I haven't yet because I had that. The whole thought process was, <laughs> oh, shit, it's October. Oh, shit. Did I forget something? Oh, wait a second. It's only October 4th. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like a, when you are late for work because your alarm doesn't go off feeling. <laughs> exactly. Like, what's, <laughs> what's happening? And then you kind of piece it together. You nailed it. Anyway. <laughs> oh. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad we haven't missed it yet. Yes, that would be <laughs> that would be pretty sad. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, certainly you not something. 
Yes, but certainly it's not something that can't be recovered from. Correct. And if you don't get on that day, you know, if you don't get the date that you're hoping for, see what options are available and don't, don't not get, you know, like make sure you get a permit because you can figure out a new plan. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's being flexible. This is, this is the first part of teaching you to be flexible. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it is. These are all trail (laughs) lessons. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting though, because every year it seems like the permit system, and I think we already talked about this last time, just gets more and more intense. Like I don't think six, seven years ago, it, you know, you could, you could wait a month after it opens and still get a permit for a day you wanted. It just seems like it's getting much more in demand. Oh, hell yes. But I also think like that the PCTA doing the pro- the system so that you can do one permit through them that covers all of the permits is a mm-hmm. relatively new thing, right? You know, I don't um, even think it's like, you know, maybe it's five years old or, or maybe it's a decade old, but it's not that the system hasn't been in place that long. It used to be that you'd have to do the permit separately, I think. Interesting. I've never known about doing any permits separately. I just know that for the Whitney Portal Trail, you would have to add that on separately. But as far as I know, the PC, because there's not that many sections that you have to have a permit in general. It's, you know, mm-hmm. there's certain areas that you're coming in and out of that it's, it's very relevant. The Sierra is obviously, you know, really protected. But yeah. as far as I've known, it's, it's just that Whitney Whitney's own that you have you need that extra and you still I think you need that extra permit right I was gonna say if you come down the Whitney trail if you stay on the PCT you're fine right right and I was literally just talking to somebody last week uh who mentioned Mm -hmm. about getting essentially a permit to cross into Canada through Manning State Park Um, Oh, yeah, that too. I forgot about that. (laughs) Which she was literally the first person who had ever mentioned it. I think everybody else just sort of took it for granted that people know that. But well, not everybody crosses into Canada, but also you can do that after the fact that's separate from the PC PCT permit. Mm -hmm. So there's not such pressure. There's not so much pressure to get that in October. It's mostly just paperwork to allow you to cross the, the border and that's it's a separate paperwork. It's not, it's not that difficult, but it doesn't, it's not as, you know, there's, you can do it later basically. Right. You just can't forget yeah. about it. I guess the, the point that I'm, I'm making is that while I never really thought about the full process of you're crossing the border into Canada, do you mm-hmm. need paperwork? She was the first pre- person to mention that. Yes, you do in fact need paperwork to do that. Ah, yes, yes. Um, and for anybody who is unsure about all of this, just because um, I know you have a wide audience, the PCT does a really good job on their website of laying out information based on the type of permit you're looking for. So if you're doing a section hike, there's a special permit for that. If you're doing, you know, the full long distance Mexico to Canada, if you search, if you click on that permit, they do have information step-by-step of what you need. You just have to make sure you read through it. Got it. Okay. So it will tell you, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. Here, here's another wrinkle for you. I love wrinkles. 
Uh oh. Um, <laughs> I was just looking at my passport the other day, and uh, I need to renew it before I do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that will be helpful. And and you know, you never know too. I um, I did the paperwork to get into Canada, but then because we flipped, I ended up not going. I didn't cross the border. Right. And to be fair, before before ever hiking the trail, the idea of doing that out and back, I thought, how could anyone possibly add that on to a hike like this? But if you're in Washington when the weather is nice, that's a it's a it's a really beautiful section, and it really isn't that bad to go out and back if you prefer not to deal with going into uh, Manning Park. Mm-hmm. It's plus you can give high fives to everyone else going <laughs> the opposite way. Yeah. <laughs> It's mm-hmm. interesting. I was literally, I know that there's been some snows that have recently hit Washington, the, the mountains, mm-hmm. um, but there's still a lot of people finishing. I was just looking at a, a photo today, yesterday that had, you know, 15 people finishing at the, uh, at the monument at one time. It wasn't even like, you know, all day. It was literally at a one period of time when everybody was kind of there still. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if they're all um, getting stopped in certain towns, you know, leading up to the monument, waiting for storms to pass and then finding a window of time and just going out. It might be. Because it, it's, it's near in the end. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting a mite chilly <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. This was the time of year that I was finishing in Northern California and it was very cold there. So Washington, I imagine, is is rough right now. Yeah. Which which ties nicely into our, our, our conversation of a couple days ago about mm-hmm. sleeping bags and being chilly. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You can't let the fear mongering get to you. Oh, I know. I know. But the fear mongering is happening in my head, so it's a little harder to turn off. I mean that's that's really where it grows for all of us, I think. Yeah. It was interesting. The summer I've been trying to finish my blog post from the backpacking that I did this summer and I'm very, very far behind, but it will, it will soon get updated. But I was reading through some of the notes I made and I made a note to myself about how um, interesting it is that when I'm at home and I'm thinking ahead of what am I going to do over the summer? Where am I going to backpack? What is that going to look like? It seems very stressful and it seems like there are a lot of components that I need to pre-plan and at this it's like you'd think I'd grow from this by now but you know that's <laughs> always kind of the mindset from the chaos of the city and then once I was on trail I you know I had this epiphany that I have I think every time I step on trail of I don't know what I was so worried about planning you're just walking and you figure stuff out as you go mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, you know it just those those problems kind of start to disappear so the 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 the, no, the mental noise kind of fades. I think once once you get out there, you just gotta have that positive self talk while you're while you're in the hectic city trying to hold you back. Do you think it's like literally the energy of the city or city life, so to speak, sort of self fulfilling? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's part of it. I think I think it's a lot of things. I I know, and everybody's different, but I know that there's a certain <laughs> you know, a silly process for me, even just going away for a weekend sometimes of, did I lock the door? Did I do all these things? Did I, are the cats taking get, you know, like all these little anxieties that we think are huge. And then once you 
get out of the, get out of your apartment, get out of your house, you know, you're reminded that everything's okay again. So I think it's, it's pretty normal, especially for something this big, but yeah, the city has a particular energy and depending on who you're surrounded by, you know, the, the, the PC doing something like the PCT isn't a thing that most people understand. So just the reaction from other people as you're trying to, it's not like you're surrounded by a lot of calm experienced backpackers that tell you everything's okay. <laughs> you're probably surrounded by a lot of people that don't understand what's going on. And every question you say out loud, the response is probably, well, are you sure you should be doing this? And you're like, don't say that. That's what my head is saying. You can't, you know, so there's a lot of um, things probably pushing, pushing you back, but you got to push those away. Yeah. <laughs> Which which actually circles perfectly into or segues perfectly into one of the things that I wanted to hit more with you and why I wanted to, to talk to you again, which is, you know, I know that when you headed out to the trailer, when you were preparing to head out to the trail, there was a lot of things going on relating to work and, and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. was causing stress. But how were you with just the general overall planning of going out to the hike and, and all of that. Um, well, I am probably in an extreme end of over planning. <laughs> <laughs> and part of, part of that is just, I think kind of a, a twisted enjoyment of putting things into boxes and creating like, fancy Excel documents. <laughs> so there's something, there's something, there's some sort of like mind numbing brain massage for me about organizing things in that way, which um, not to paint the wrong picture. I think I, I get into it so much that I over-organize and then it looks chaotic. So it's <laughs> my own self to see, but I, I definitely planned more than one necessarily has to. Again, part of that was me just being excited. So I, mapped out and all of this is on my website. Mm -hmm. So it's, I at least feel as though that time and energy, I can, I can share some of that grunt work (laughs) with people that are interested. So, um, all of my, you know, my resupply plan was mapped out. I, there's, um, I think a photo on my website, if not, I have it somewhere of me in the middle of my living room surrounded by like, I have 29 boxes from wall to wall just around me because I was, um, packing up every single resupply all at the same time mm-hmm. and, and going out of my way to try to make sure that I was making them, um, you know, having some variety. So I didn't want the same box from big bear to be the same box of food that I would get. You know, I wanted all my snacks to be different. So it's quite a bit. Of so I, I did a lot of pre-planning in advance. And again, I, in addition to that logistical stuff to get on trail with, with gear, setting up my website, uh, mapping out resupply, there's the life stuff. So I think that, you know, everybody has a different kind of plan for how they want to return from trail. And I don't live close to my, my dad and I have had an apartment for a long time and, you know, I'm used to having my career. And so I wanted, I needed to return to some semblance of that normalcy. And I also have pets. So I needed someone to be in my apartment taking care of the pets, which meant I couldn't just sublet my place. 
So I did a lot of planning as far as life stuff. Trying to figure out my health care was one of the biggest stresses I think we touched on last yeah. time. Yeah. Figuring out where to keep my car was a stressful thing for me until a coworker, you know, offered up a spot outside their house. Yeah, just these little things that I think for some people, if they have family nearby or if they're okay coming home and and living you know, moving back home with their parents or whatever the case may be, if they don't need to, if they have that support network when they return, then that's, you know, it's a little bit different. But I, I knew that I wanted to come home to my home and things kind of the way they are, which meant a little more financial planning. And, and just, you know, I didn't realize how hard, how much of a grasp society puts on you once you get going in your career and life. And so it was, I felt like it was very difficult to detach from, yeah, just the normal bills and, and stuff. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess in some respects, you had, you had the luxury of you were sort of cutting one cord, and then you would pick up and, and grab another cord when you got back. Um, you know, mm-hmm. In that respect, at least work wise. Sort of, I didn't, I didn't have a job when I came, I didn't, right. Um, you know, yeah, my my main job did not hold my spot. I was lucky in that um, the yoga studio that I worked for allowed me to pick up classes when I came back. And that that really helped my mental state. Just I, I cannot survive in Los Angeles only teaching yoga for core power yoga. But knowing that I can come back and start to make some money right away, just that little bit of control, plus just the the therapeutic nature of teaching yoga and being in that space, which, you know, we can get into that mm-hmm. and a little bit later was, was so important because it just gave me something to do right away, you know, but yeah, I needed to, I needed, I needed to make sure in my pre-planning that I had the ability to take my time easing back in financially and otherwise. Who, who was sending you your resupply boxes and or making swaps out of gear and stuff as you needed? Yeah. So I, um, sent as many boxes as I could in advance before I left. So any place I called some of the places, um, and to find out if I could, how long they would hold a box for. So I, I sent some of the first early on boxes myself when I was here. And then I had two different friends staying, um, subletting and helping. Well, we would split the rent and they were taking care of my pets and sending my boxes. And so I had one friend in the beginning of trail and one friend in the end of trail. And they were helping with that. My friend who stayed here towards the end of trail had a little bit more of a challenge because a lot of the addresses that I put on the boxes needed to be changed because my whole plan had changed. (laughs) But I was, I was very lucky to have two really awesome people in my apartment during that time that that was huge that was that was one of my one of my biggest concerns is who's going to be in my apartment and also because I have pets I I wouldn't just want any stranger in my apartment so that you know that's probably the thing that I think about the most now in in considering another long trail is what about my cat (laughs) yeah did that Mm -hmm. allow you to I mean, yes, you miss them and and that kind of thing, but did that allow you to step away for five months and feel comfortable, confident that 
that that would be taken care of, that you didn't have to stress about that? Yes. Um, because these were two people that I trusted a lot and, um, you can, you know, when you're hiking, there's a lot of times when you'll have cell service, especially in town. So I was able to check in a lot and being in Los Angeles, it's nice because as I mentioned before, after we got to Agua Dulce, I came home, um, to go to my student's graduation. So because it was a friend and not a stranger here, I was able to come back and check in, spend the night. Uh, and then once I got to the Sierra, there were a couple of times, one time when I had, you know, I told you about the stomach issues that was yeah. unsolvable. I came home for a night then because Lone Pine is maybe three hours away, three and a half hours away. So it was, yeah, it, it worked out really well. And I, I felt really comfortable. Um, I felt really comfortable with them. Did you ever FaceTime with your cats? <laughs> no. <laughs> you just didn't no, think of I it, don't, did you? I don't. <laughs> Well, I just don't think that my friends would have allowed that. <laughs> if it were up to me, I, I might, I might have. <laughs> <laughs> when you came back, because one of the other, th- one of the other things that we were going to talk about was mm-hmm. the reentry. Yeah. Into the world, um, which you kind of hit on a little bit earlier about yoga and having that and that giving out giving you at least some comfort mm-hmm. but how long did you I mean I guess knowing that you had the yoga to go back to and to pick up classes and stuff how long did you give yourself before you were really going to have to before you really would start to stress about it you mean financially financially is certainly one area but also um just we are programmed to be working. If we're not working, then what are we doing and why aren't right. we doing it? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting question because I feel as though when I came home, there were a lot of existential crises. <laughs> it was, it was, you know, much more intense than just why am I not working? It was kind of why am why am I, I remember having, strong feelings of why why do I go out every day to try to make money to pay the rent for this one concrete box after I just spent five months traveling with my home on my back like why what is this lifestyle that we have here (laughs) what are we there's a lot of a lot of stuff that was very difficult for me to wrap my head around why I do anything and that was I think you know I had I work in the mental health field as a counselor and and I knew that people come home from something like the PCT and and I knew the words post-trail depression but I didn't really understand what that would be like until I experienced it and yeah it was it was very difficult to just find that sense feel that sense of normalcy in general so yoga was good because it gave me something to do but it was also good because when I'm teaching, I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm delivering some positive verbiage. So what I say to my students is usually what I need to hear for myself. So that feels nice. It's also a, a space that um, creates community. And I didn't, I didn't really think about before the PCT how important that was going to be coming home. But 
coming back from the trail is very lonely. It's difficult to be in an environment where people don't understand what you did. And, you know, you're, you went on trail one way, you come back kind of a different way and you can't really adjust it. You know, it's difficult to connect with people. And so I was really grateful for the yoga community because that, you know, moving and breathing with people together was therapeutic in and of itself. And I know I'm sure you've experienced, especially in the entertainment industry, living in Los Angeles, it's difficult in the city to have an authentic connection with somebody. Yes. And so I found that at least in the yoga setting, even if someone didn't know the intensity of what the PCT was, there was a sense of authenticity in their questions to me. They really were interested in where I'd been and what I had done versus in a lot of other realms of my life. I kind of felt like it was this typical, like, oh, you've been gone for a while. What did you do? Oh, that was cool. Anyway, this is what's happening now. Kind of like. <laughs> and back <quick>. to me. <laughs> right. And so that would just kind of probably make my mouth drop and pause because anytime anyone said how was it just five months of intensity (laughs) glosses over my vision and memory and it's yeah so what when people did that how Mm -hmm. how did you respond to that without getting angry or getting whatever the the emotion was that was that was coming up from those remarks um it's tough because i knew i just need there are certain conversations that i needed to just um you know let it be small talk mm-hmm. i think the loneliness was just is a lot of culture shock coming back and it's also just as an individual, like in general, it's really hard for me to have, I don't know, just kind of heartless conversations. And so when I would get the sense that someone's just asking a question about this intense thing, just for the sake of asking a question, but they really want to move on with the conversation, I'd I'd rather not talk about it because, you know, I, I guess in that sense, I would probably say, oh yeah, it was really intense and great. Anyway, let's move on because it just, it doesn't, it feels much more difficult to go through the effort of explaining this journey to someone who's not really listening. So I'm going to counter. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, did it feel because the, the five months, this, this epic journey, adventure exploration Mm -hmm. of five months when you have people like that who are, who are coming at you with questions that are not really questions, um, did you find that it was almost uh, an unwillingness to share something that was sort of sacred as well? Not necessarily that intense. It just, okay. I knew it wasn't necessarily an unwillingness. It's just there are certain conversations where, you know, I can go into detail about this, but they're not going to know what I'm talking about. Or I can just answer in a very basic way just to move on with conversation because a lot of the things that I'm going to say are just going to result in, I can't believe you did that. That's really crazy. But I'm going to counter your question by offering some, some things that I did to 
to help myself find an outlet otherwise. So, Beautiful. I mean, yeah, because so, I think that that's really important. And so I, um, there was actually a hiker that Charlie and I met when we were in Stahican, which is in Washington. And we met this hiker just for one evening while we were there. And we all, the three of us bonded that evening and his channeling his loophole. And he's from Los Angeles uh, or he's, he was living in Los Angeles. He's from Michigan, but we knew some of the same people and, and the three of us all bonded. Anyway, when I came back, he finished the trail before me and Charlie. And so I called him and we went on an urban hike together. And even though I only met him and hung out with him that one time, meeting up again in the city, I realized having someone to talk to that just understands what you've gone through, where you can say the word Lone Pine or Kearsarge Pass or Forester Pass, and they know what that means. You can have kind of like a level three conversation was so therapeutic and so comforting. And so he and I have become really good friends, but I you know, that in addition to obviously until Charlie moved here, he and I were on the phone every day, multiple times a day, just having people from the trail or who have hiked the trail before in regular communication, I think is really important because otherwise you come home from this intense thing you experienced with a lot of people that you are no longer seeing every day. So maintaining some of that communication, I think is really important. Um, exercising on a regular basis was really helpful for me. I am lucky that I've had a strong, you know, that trail running was my, mm-hmm. my gateway before backpacking. So I had a routine when I was living here before I left for the PCT of running on a regular basis. And I had a trail running group of friends and it was a little difficult for me in the beginning to get back into a running pace. I was a little resistant in my body and, and I just felt kind of beat up by the end of trail. And so it was a slow comeback, but I would still get outside every day and, and move every day. And I can't stress enough how important that self-care is coming back because you can't expect any of the other emotional pieces to come together if you're not, you know, maintaining that, that exercise, eating well, all of those things are super important to your mental health. On top of which, you just came out of an experience where your body's used to getting exercise all day long. So I think when people return, if they return and just sit on the couch all day, that depression is going to be way worse. Did you have depression? Like, would you think of it as, did you think of it as depression? Um, I didn't think of it as a clinical, you know, diagnosis of depression, but I definitely felt a sense of loneliness and loss of direction for a very long period of time. I mean, it's still, I still think about the PCT every, I mean, still we're here talking about this for the second time. Like it's still the strongest experience. And it's funny because since the PCT, I've hiked the Colorado trail I've backpacked, you know, I've hiked sea to sea in in Southern California. I've hiked every vacation that I've had in the past two years, but the PCT is my strongest memory across the board. Like anytime I'm running on the PCT, I think of that, it's just, it's still very intense. 
but I was not depressed in the sense that I wouldn't get out of bed or eat, you know, those kinds of things mm-hmm. I was doing. I knew that it was important to take care of myself and to still exercise every day and, and make that effort to take care of my body. But it was harder. Those runs were not as enjoyable that, you know, it was definitely a challenge. You had to get used to the fact moving. of going on a run and coming back to my car was, you know, also difficult mentally for me. Like, why am I, why am I not just continuing on? <laughs> you know, like, why am I not following a straight line anymore? Why am I just going out and coming back? Interesting. Cause yeah. I would have I thought that, you know, going on a run, I totally, I can totally get why that would feel very foreign. And, but then coming back to a car would be a moment of joy. Celebration. <laughs> <laughs> and for some people, I'm sure everyone's experience is different. For me, what was tough and I, and what I needed to continue to strengthen my own personal self-talk was the why. So on the PCT, you don't have to have any of these extraneous thoughts of what am I going to do today? What am I going to wear today? What am I going to eat today? Where am I going to go today? That's our, you already know. So your emotions are fully immersed in that experience. Coming home, you know, I'm going out for a run, but it's like, I'm not walking to Canada anymore. So where am I going and why am I going there? And so I think that, Mm. and then returning to the car was what was emotionally tough for me. And I'm sure there are people listening who would think like exactly what you're saying. It must be really, you're going for a run because you're just going for a run and then you get to go back to your car and you get to go get whatever food you want. But there was something about just even the ease of having a car, the ease of having grocery stores, just everything already, all your needs already being available to you was very, it was just such a different life. It was very difficult for me to, um, yeah, to understand why I was doing what I was doing and to, and to figure out what I wanted to do. How did you resolve your, your why? Um, Per your favorite quote, I just, you know, I kept, I kept on keeping on, <laughs> you know, I just kept doing the things that I knew before trail I did and I loved, and that was helpful. Um, I continued to look for work. And at first I was, um, in addition to teaching yoga, I was doing consulting work for, um, not the same school that I was at, but the same charter district. So at the district level, helping them create, um, you know, counseling curriculum, a college counseling curriculum to share with all of the counselors. So I was working from home doing that. And initially I thought this is going to be great. I can work from home. I can go on runs when I want to, but I really did learn how important community and people are when I was on trail. And so working from home, has its perks, but I also just, I know I needed to be around people. And so I did that for a period of time and then, you know, eventually got the job, kept applying for jobs and got the job at the school that I'm currently at and filling your time with, with work and exercise definitely helps for me teaching yoga or just taking yoga classes was very helpful because it's just a good space to, come out of an, a negative head hole. So if I'm working mm-hmm. through some of these questions and problems, it's easy to get stuck in a, in a, in a downward spiral, but making sure that you have those moments in the day where you get to shift your perspective. 
is really nice. And just having an hour of the day where I'm not thinking about all of this stuff necessarily is really nice. So that, you know, if meditation is the thing for me, movement and breathing, so which is why I gravitate towards yoga is really helpful. And when, you know, so I can't, I returned and I came home in October and in June of that year, Charlie and I hiked the Colorado trail and then he moved back to California. So since then I've been, you know, he and I have been living in the same place in the same state. And Mm -hmm. so having, having my buddy (laughs) here has, has total has changed, you know, everything. And, and he was a buddy that did the whole thing with you basically. So you have shared a lot of shared memories. <laughs> yeah, we we met on day three, and we've been we've been together since. <laughs> yeah, which actually brings up yeah. us another question for me, which is kind mm-hmm. of a two part thing. Okay, which is like, how many of the people that you met on the trail do you keep in touch with at this point, or have do you keep in contact with? Um, I keep in contact with a handful. Uh, obviously Charlie and I see each other all the time because we're <laughs> a couple when we live together, but, um, I don't see people that I've hiked with that often. There's a period of time, especially when I first came back, like I said, that I think it's, it's really helpful to, to make an extra effort to be in communication with them as you ease back into things. And so I would definitely check in a lot more with a lot more people from my trail family initially. Um, but there's still a good core group that through text messaging or phone calls or Instagram, we're still in communication on a regular basis. What's funny is that um, Jedi or Maisie who uh, hiked the last part of the trail with me and Charlie, who I finished with, she was from Napa and then after trail moved to Los Angeles because her boyfriend lives here and she lives, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 minutes from me. And we just found out recently that she works a block away from the yoga studio I teach at, but I have not seen her since I've been back from trail, but we chat online (laughs) and through text almost daily. (laughs) So I keep in touch. (laughs) I don't see them that often, but yeah. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have admitted that, but <laughs> maybe if you're listening, we have to hang out in, in person probably. That's too. right. This is a this is a poke <laughs> to hang out. hmm And that actually reminds me one other very, very I think um beneficial coping skill that if I could have discovered this earlier, it might have really helped me a lot. Coming home and volunteering. If you live near the PCT, volunteer with the PCTA. If you live near any other trail and there's an organization that does trail work, volunteer with them. I've, um, this month I will, I will go on my third, um, volunteer day with the PCTA. And it is so nice not only just to give back to the trail that gave so much to me, but it's an environment where you know you're going to be around people that know what the PCT is. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it immediately induces that community. So last month um, I volunteered and did some trail work near Silverwood Lake. And 
when I arrived, I was by myself and there's that initial feeling and, and flashbacks of school when you don't know mm-hmm. anybody and like, who's yep. going to be my buddy when you get out of your car? You I'm know? the odd person out. Yeah. And so as soon as I got out of my car, um, there's another volunteer there that saw my um, 2017 bandana on my backpack and she ran over to me and said, did you like in 2017? And I said, yeah. And she said, me too. And from that moment, I just like, our comfort level with one another was expedited as though I was meeting her on trail or as though we were friends for a long time. And so it was just a reminder that there is this connection with these people that you meet on trail or that understand the trail or that love the outdoors. And so going and volunteering they, is, is such a good way to give back, but it's also, I think, very emotionally therapeutic just to be around that environment. And I think that that it's funny that that we would think that it wouldn't apply to something so big as hiking for five months on the trail. But I think that that applies to so many things in life that when you find your people, so to speak, that you can talk to about those things that were very significant for you, it makes so much difference. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's it's so important in your work environment, in your social life, just yeah. making sure that you've got people around that are good listeners, that, you know, give and take and you give and take and that, yeah, just that I just, I think this experience really just made me realize how important community is. Most definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of the follow up to the to that question, or the, mm-hmm. the other branch of that question, I should say, <laughs> is, you know, you started the trail solo, you started the trail on your own. Three mm-hmm. days in, you meet Charlie. Mm-hmm. And the rest, as they say, is sort of history. But, <laughs> but that was not mm-hmm. what you went into the trail expecting to have happen or expecting the direction of th- that that anything would take. How was, I guess, developing a relationship on the trail mm-hmm. and, and maintaining it when you are not necessarily spending 24 seven, but sort of spending 24 seven together. <laughs> yeah. So when I met him, it was not just him. So I, when I met him, he was also hiking with, um, well, he was with a big group where they were camped and there was a girl with him named Kim who, uh, for a while it was the three of us and that core group expanded as we went on. But, but Kim is another one who from the get go was with me almost just as long as, as Charlie. Mm -hmm. And so at first it was just kind of meeting a group. And that was, that was nice because I was hoping that I would, I, you know, I enjoyed doing things by myself, but I was hoping that I would meet people that I would at least get to camp with and definitely wanted to go through the Sierra with. And, and for a while I, you know, I didn't think the idea of any romantic relationship was not, was not in my mindset. So it wasn't right away, right away that anything, you know, really happened, but once Charlie and I got much closer, there there was a little 
it was challenging. I know that I had a little bit of resistance of just, I wasn't, you know, it's, it's tough because you're, you're put into this intense situation. And as I mentioned, after, um, we got to Lake Isabella, I physically was not doing so great. And so when you first start seeing someone, if you don't feel good, you don't go hang out with them usually. And so, and not feeling good on trail to be a little PC about it, you know, not feeling good on trail is <laughs> stuff is stuff is coming out of places that you don't want to talk about and just things are not things are not going the way that you yes. want them to go in your it's body. It's not your so, best foot forward. Right. So yeah, there were a lot of times when I I thought I'm very grateful that this person is still here hanging out with me and waiting for me. And, you know, I'm the last person to arrive and he's still like the last person to wait for me at a water source. There was another part of me that thought I just want to sit in my own grumpiness and not have that grumpiness affect another person. And I knew that when I wasn't feeling good, it was difficult, especially that early on to allow him to, to somehow allow him to know that this is not personal about you. I'm just not feeling good physically. And so that beginning parts of a relationship, I think (laughs) was a little bit tough for both of us. You know, I just needed to be uncomfortable and, and grumpy. And I also needed to figure out, you know, I, I just couldn't put on a happy face all the time, Yeah, but I also wanted to strongly make sure that he knew that this was not, me saying that I don't care about you or appreciate you. I just am in pain. And I think for both of us, because he started solo too, there was, we've had a, quite a few, we've had some conversations in the beginning too of this is tough because we both started this alone and we like setting up our own stuff and, and doing our own thing and having this experience. We also like being together. So, um, you know, we, we both carried our tents for the entire time. And even when we started to share a tent, we still both had our own tents. And there were some nights when we would just set up separately, but near each other, but just to give each other some space. And I think that starting to get a little bit more of that routine was really, really helpful. And as we got more comfortable with one another, we, it became easier to talk about these things. But yeah, it was a little, it was a little tough. Just things don't relationships don't uh they're not they don't follow a normal course on trail that they do at home but at the same time you're kind of forced to expedite closeness there's an intensity which is to nice. every interaction yeah there's an intensity to every interaction and there's just you know one day on trail is like the equivalent to I don't know like a month or two months of dating somebody because <laughs> you're never in the city you know going to spend 24 sessions with that person. Right. Maybe you are. I shouldn't say never, but. It's unusual. Yeah. Yeah. And now, of course, it seems like second nature to hike with him. Right. Will you develop your thing, your group thing? Right. And I mean, what was nice is that at least for our hiking style, that developed naturally in the beginning when our group formed before any anything romantic happened and so you know we as a as a as a group of hikers together we got into a routine charlie and i in the beginning of um in the beginning of the trail were the fastest and so 
he would usually go ahead and, or we would leapfrog and he would wait at a water source or I'd wait at a water source. But he and I got into a routine very early on of there are times when we hike really close to each other or we can talk. And there are times when he goes his pace and I go my pace. And if we don't see each other, that's fine. And we just meet, you know, at some spot in the future. And that's kind of the groove that we've, we've kept. You know, it's something, whether it becomes a romantic relationship or whether it is just a, a good, strong friendship, you know, that it is valuable when you can get to that level of communication or nonverbal communication, so to speak. Yeah, you know, on trail, when someone's going to be your friend for life, when they're still hanging out with you after you've pooped your pants. (laughs) (laughs) Which will happen to probably most, I would say, most people that hike the DCT. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just wait, we'll we'll end it there and we'll we'll wait till you come back from trail to to follow up with that conversation. There we go. <laughs> it's a, almost like a basic hazing ritual. Yeah, I kind of feel like from now on, you should just, in every interview, have have at some point, one of your questions just be, can you tell me about the time you pooped your pants on trail? <laughs> but I have a feeling you'll get a story from everybody. If they say no, they're lying. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny. I was, when I first started this the podcast, or when I was researching, so to speak, to start the podcast, there was one of them that I was just kind of reading the blurb about. And literally, they were talking in almost every episode about that, that very topic. Really? Yeah. It's, a, it's yeah, you know, it's, I'm telling you, you should start asking that question and see what happens. <laughs> it will bring good stories. It definitely will. <laughs> that, so that... Those are basically kind of what I wanted to circle back around to mm-hmm. when when we uh, talked about you coming back on. Um, was there anything that you wanted to hit on to? Um, I'm sure I'll think of things once we get off the phone. But no, I you know I I think um, I think someone reached out to me. That's right. Um, I sent you that message asking more information about coming home from trail. And I I just can't reiterate enough because I think it's easy to get swept up in the excitement when you're planning. And I know you've got enough questions about, can I actually do this thing that it must seem so, so foreign and so pointless at this point to, to consider how do I take care of myself when I get back? But I think really committing to that self-care when you return, checking in with what am I returning to Am I going to have a job? If not, what is my plan to work on that? How am I going to spend my time when I get back? Just making sure that you've got a grounded space to, you know, to work from and that you are exercising every day to try to maintain some of those endorphins because (laughs) I think that's a huge part of that, you know, that mental challenge when you come back, you're you're so used. It's almost like it all to me almost felt like somewhat of a drug overdose. You know, you spend five months with this intense exercise, so you are changing your brain chemistry. You are getting these endorphins, dopamine, and then you come back and you're not moving it as much. So maintaining that physical activity, making sure you're eating right, 
and having some sort of plan, even if it's just an idea of this is what I want to look up when I get back. I want to explore college or I want to explore like a different career path or I want to update my resume. Just some task that is going to elevate you, I think, will be very, very important in retrospect, if I knew of any therapist that I could talk about the PCT with to try to really find better ways to integrate that experience and that story into my normal life, that would be really helpful. But that would require making sure a therapist knew what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, you know, in California might not be too tough. True, true. Or, or the flip side of that is you have a therapist that you're already talking to about it. So it's just sort of a continuation of the, of the process. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, definitely whatever self-care practices you've got currently in place, making sure you return to that, even if it doesn't feel good. So I think that's an important thing too. As I mentioned before, running was tough to get back into. And yes, there were times when I didn't really want to go out or I didn't really see the point in going on a run that I was just going to come back to my car for or going around the block in my local, you know, afternoon little run, but I would do it anyway because I knew that I needed to. So I think just really holding yourself accountable to those practices and trusting that it will get easier and it will get better and maintaining that connection to volunteering to the trail or, and, or staying in touch with, people that you hiked with so that you have an outlet to talk about things. Right. And I could also see that, or I could also see being on the trail and having that type of, or those type of connections to people that there, there, there could be a process coming back off of the trail where things can be a little bit more superficial sometimes, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm where you where one you might start to reanalyze or rethink like who are my my friend group or who are the people that I hang out with what am I doing when I'm hanging out is there a Mm -hmm. way that these can be more meaningful for me based on this experience that I've just had yeah I mean there's a lot that changes within you too so you go on trail as one person and then you come back and for me, I felt like what was difficult to that regard is that some of my values changed that were different. Again, I feel very lucky that I had some trail running friends because they tend to exhibit similar dirtbag characteristics as my -hmm. through hiking friends. So that was really important, but coming back to a professional life or especially for you coming back to entertainment, you know, I felt like, why do I need to change my outfit every day? Why do I need to, um, you know, like, I don't care about wearing, not that I ever cared about wearing makeup, but just my, my values are things that I thought, you know, I, I've worn the same shorts for a week and then I wash them when I get into town. So why am I wasting water washing my running shorts after I run once? And so I tried to maintain some of my PCT, uh, you know, like I knew I wasn't going to get hurt by wearing the same socks twice. But in, <laughs> like, in this society, in the society, it's very hard because a lot of the people that, you know, aren't used to that or that might surround you or maybe are your friends 
will judge that and say that's yeah. disgusting and it's gross. I felt again, lucky teaching yoga. I was able to wear the same outfit all the time or just wear exercise clothes. And that was nice. But yeah, coming back to a professional environment, having just come out of a space where you can be your, the rawest version of yourself yeah. is really hard. Is really, it's, it's really nice to just be yourself and not worry about any of that other stuff. So yeah, you, I think it is fair to say that you might find some social situations that you're used to now being a little uncomfortable after you return. It's interesting as well for me personally, and I guess this was something that I've noticed coming with age. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily call it wisdom, but coming with age (laughs) that I mean, and they do say, you know, like you get into your 40s and uh, you start to accept yourself as opposed to try to change yourself in ways. And I've certainly found that. And it's interesting because I sort of feel like I'm on that trajectory of exactly what you're talking about, of a calmness about those things, you know, just Mm -hmm. sitting in the calmness as opposed to being worked up about it or worrying about it or, you know, that type of stuff, which is actually really freeing, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that, that inspires me for, that sounds like maybe I shouldn't <laughs> be so scared of entering my 40s. <laughs> 40s are fabulous. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cause I recently, so I guess since the last time we talked two week or towards the end of September 21st was my birthday. So I've, had a ritual um, since really since the beginning of my 30s that I have to run the minimum of my age in miles on my birthday. It can be more, but it can't be less. So I recently uh, turned 36 and we went to Yosemite and did 36 brutal miles there. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. But so as I get later into my 30s, it's nice, <laughs> it's inspiring to hear that I've got something to look forward to. <laughs> it is, it is really interesting in so much as going into your 40s. I mean, I know that people make it, people make a big deal out of going into your 40s and oh my God. And, and certainly me being in my 40s is never, it's not anywhere close to what I was thinking 40s would look like when I was 20, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. When I was looking at people who were 40 when I was 20, but there is definitely, or there has been for me, definitely a, a calmness, an acceptance, a prioritization of the things that make me happy and being comfortable with the fact that they don't necessarily make everybody happy. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And letting that go um, of trying to to please and and ex- you know accepting God forbid accepting your body the way that it is and and that kind of thing. So that has been you know the forties have been fabulous in that respect, definitely mental health wise they've been fabulous. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Well, hopefully your your return from trail experience, you will have um, your own wisdoms and maybe a much easier time assimilating. Who knows? It is part of the adventure, I think. 
again, from your podcast, you've already collected a group of individuals that you can talk to when you get back, in addition yep. to the trail family that you haven't met yet. Exactly. I am doubly mm-hmm. blessed. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Lonnie, for uh, for coming back on again. And uh, Thank you for having me. Answering some more questions. <laughs> yeah, I hope I hope this isn't the last time we get to talk. Oh, absolutely. I have a feeling um <laughs> besides between talking and uh and uh texting or some version of texting as there <laughs> is in this world right now, there will be an ongoing conversation. Yes. I have one more question for you though, Erin, before you go. Go for, go for it. Have you added anything to your um gear list besides your shirt? Um, I have actually, um, oh, I went out and got a tent. <gasps> What'd you get? Um, I got a copper spur. So a big Agnes nice. copper spur. Um, and I did get the, mm-hmm. a two person tent, which I know is probably overkill, but I was, no, I had a two person tent. Okay. So perfect. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about it and it's yeah. like, I want, I want something that is freestanding, not just semi freestanding. And I wanted something that was big enough to move around in and to be able to lay things out in, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of those things. And, and uh, honestly, like that level of analysis came from talking to everybody and, and mm-hmm. pulling in their, their viewpoints and then using that to sort of develop my own. Which yeah. I think, awesome. I think you'll find that a two person for one person is pretty common. Yeah. Yeah, so that's good. I think that's that's a good that's a popular tent. That's a good tent. That's what I kept hearing. So I was like, mm-hmm. two person and this and it's you know, so it checked all the boxes. So I was very excited, and it was on the uh, REI Labor Day sale. Woohoo! Oh, cool! Yeah, that's I think that's how I bought my tent too, and it was it was quite significant discount. <laughs> it was it was definitely a, a nice discount, which made it the perfect choice for that moment too. That's awesome. So cool. So Congratulations. That is as far as I've gotten. The, the next one up as we were talking about earlier was the sleeping bag thing. Um, but I haven't pulled any mm. triggers on that. I see. And know that a lot of the, the good companies you will usually, I mean, speak to them first, but usually you can mm-hmm. order some gear and try it out. And if it doesn't work, you can change it. So if you, get a 20 degree bag and go test it out and it's not warm enough. Most companies will allow you to, you know, to do that and try it and send it back and, and go for a different one. So okay. maybe that would help ease your anxieties a little, but that means you got to go camping before you leave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the details. <laughs> yes. Yes. No. I, and it is definitely for me, like we were, like we were talking about it, it is definitely a concern because I generally do sleep cold except for Mm -hmm. the other side of turning 50, so to speak um, for women at least, which is the the night sweat type of thing. So there's Mm -hmm. gotta be some way to find the balance between those two things. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely test out some sleeping bags before you go. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I will definitely. And I'm sure you'll hear more about it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, I love it. Please don't uh, feel shy asking or calling for any of that stuff. I love it. Perfect. Well, I will let you get on with your evening. Thank you so much again. 
Yes, thank you. Show notes and links for Lonnie's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Lonnie for sharing her stories from post-trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. If you have through hiking adventures to share, we'd love to hear them. Please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. And if you like what we're doing here, we would love it if you could find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail.